Hello and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 83, Students, Sex Work and Stigma. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where medical students, junior doctors and expert guests come together and discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor that you might not get taught at medical school. I'm Charlotte and I've just finished my fifth year as a medical student at the University of Oxford. I started working at the BMJ in August as the editorial scholar, looking after all the content that BMJ student will be producing this year. I'll be hosting this academic year and I'm so excited to get started. Today we're joined by our regular panellist, Anisha. Hey everyone, my name's Anisha. I'm currently an F2 working in Brighton. Great, lovely to have you with us today. And we're also joined by one of our new panellists, Sarah, for her first episode. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, I'm Sarah. I'm a third year medical student um, based in Milton Keynes and I'm excited to get stuck in. Great, yeah, so exciting. Um, And I'd also like to welcome our expert guest today, Dr Jessica Simpson. Could you tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, yeah, um, I'm Jess and I'm a lecturer in sociology at the University of Greenwich. And yeah, my uh, research area is the sex industry. So thank you for inviting us to come and speak today. Great, it's so nice to have you with us today, Jess. Okay, so we we came across a really interesting report that said 5% of students are involved in the sex industry, which I found a really surprising statistic. Um, And this was sort of taken from the Student Sex Work Project at Swansea University. And we've talked on the podcast a lot before about how our professional and personal identity is something that's quite hard to balance as a medical student or a healthcare worker. And so we wanted to talk a little bit more about this topic today. so just before we sort of get started on that conversation, Jess, I wondered if you could just start by telling us what actually is sex work, what counts as sex work? Yeah, so um, sex work is an umbrella term that's used to describe um, lots of different sexual services um, that are carried out in different settings and under very different contexts and circumstances by a range of different people as well. Um, so that could include direct services, so for example, prostitution uh, or escorting, or maybe more indirect services, things like um, erotic dancing, online, for example, more like webcamming, um, things like OnlyFans, for example, um, could be considered sex work. Um, yeah, so it's very broad um, and it is an umbrella term. Yeah, that's really helpful um, just to sort of start us off. And so you mentioned that like a range of people are involved in sex work and how many students would you say are involved in sex work? Is is that 5% figure something that you've come across in your work as well? Yeah, so there's been um, a number of studies carried out in the UK um, over the years and that figure does keep uh, recurring. So 5% is... An estimate but it's likely an underestimation as with all sex work statistics um, it's very difficult to actually gauge the true numbers of such a hidden population obviously sex work is stigmatized so it's unlikely that we'd ever you know know how many students exactly are doing sex work but that is I guess a modest estimate of the numbers and if we put it into like real terms like real figures it's I mean just under 200,000 students in the UK and um, research has also shown that 20% of students have considered sex work. Um, I think that's probably a lot more than people generally think. Yeah, and, and I, I, just to 
make it really clear as well at the beginning um when we talk about sex work is that something that's legal um yes it is the sale of sexual services and the sale of sex for monetary gain is legal in the uk um, but just to clarify, there are certain things which are, are criminalised and it's typically associated with street sex work. So things like soliciting, loitering in a public place. Um, there's things around advertising, um, but on the whole, yes. And despite this kind of like legality around it, I imagine that lots of students would be really shocked if they found out that a friend or a colleague was involved in this line of work. And I just wondered whether that's something that's been researched at all. Yeah, I think actually there has been research on students' understanding and awareness of, you know, their peers engaging in sex work. And I think if somebody was shocked, that might be because they are de- relying on, I guess, negative stereotypes of who a sex worker is, um, which might be, you know, this, like I say, very stereotypical image of, like... Um, a very downtrodden, drug-addicted street sex worker. Like, that's the kind of stereotypical understanding. Um, And, you know, sex workers are, you know, quote-unquote normal people that everybody encounters on a daily basis. Um, You know, they're not these unicorn people who you've never come across. They might not be out as sex workers to you, but, you know, you will have come across (laughs) um, a sex worker. Does, Does the way we've sort of been talking about this... Um, and the destigmatization of sex work, I guess, run the risk of normalizing that industry for the most vulnerable groups. So, for example, like students are likely to be young people, um, and I guess potentially those who are struggling financially could be uh, those without like as much support. So, is that kind of a problem? Yeah. So I think. This is a really important question that tends to dominate conversation. So I just want to clarify, so in no way am I saying that sex work's unproblematic. I think that's hopefully came across and sex workers are disproportionately from marginalised groups. They're disproportionately at risk of violence. Um, That's on a global scale as well. But like I say, this fear of normalising is really the wrong kind of fear in conversation, in my opinion, to be focusing on um, so when we kind of say right okay what's the risks of normalizing sex work we also have to think about what's the risks of continuing to ensure that it's considered to be unacceptable and when we start to have these conversations we ultimately come back to that polarized you know we ask the question you know is sex work good or bad is it morally right or wrong and personally I think the risks associated with the current situation where we consider sex work to be unacceptable and stigmatised and, you know, efforts to make sure that sex work remains at the margins, they're much higher, right? So that's that's more risky. So as we've seen throughout history, sex work, when it's seen to be wrong, that really heightens social stigma, that leads to violence, um, prevents sex workers from seeking support. And I think whether or not we believe sex work is something people should do or shouldn't do, pragmatically without focusing on what pushes people into the industry and what keeps people in sex work people are going to do sex work right they are going to continue to engage in sex work but whether or not they're going to do this safely is another question and in my opinion that's where the priority needs to be on a harm reduction 
kind of safety level. Okay, let's make sure that if people are going to do this, they're going to do it in the safest way possible. And then let's focus on why they're entering, what's keeping them in, in that order, not let's keep it dangerous. Criminalising drugs doesn't stop people from doing it. it just and Abortion, for example, doesn't stop people from doing it. It just makes it more dangerous when they do it. Um, and we'll discuss a little bit more about this, but that'll be right after this message from our sponsor. Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week, one lucky new joiner wins £200. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, it seems like there's a whole spectrum of different um, types of work that's just sort of coming under that one umbrella term. And is there one sort of area of sex work or a, a few specific sort of subgroups of sex work that you find students are mostly involved in? Um, I think what I've found personally was that um, it depends on, again, what they kind of want from sex work. So, for example, I studied um, students involved in the stripping industry and they seen stripping as, you know, just like a night out. So it was something that was fun. It was something that they were, well, they really enjoyed that aspect of it and they were able to make more money than they would in hospitality, say, for example, waitress in a bar work. People might... um, you know, prefer escorting, for example, where they might only have to do a couple of hours a week and they might be able to earn quite a lot of money. But I wouldn't say that there's, um, you know, one area which students are more drawn to. Um, there is a, I guess, we've seen a notable increase in stu- um, sex work as generally moving online, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are all just using, you know, like, for example, webcamming and things like that. They actually use the internet in order to find offline um clients offline if that makes sense so they just advertise online yeah I was gonna say like you know just to jump on the question like do you think social media has had an impact in sort of how sex work is kind of looked at um today just in general yeah I know a lot of uh, people who advertise via social media so for example if they're doing webcamming they say you know I'm going to be online at this time or this time um, strippers are the same you know I'm going to be at work tonight come to the club using social media as a way to um, encourage you know um, custom in different ways but I think that yeah the kind of there's like debates I guess around like the general sexualization of culture and the social acceptability of um sexualized images for example so people are like you know I would post this picture of myself in a bikini on Instagram why not post it on OnlyFans and make some money out of it so yeah there is definitely an increase in social acceptability of I guess sexualized imagery 
But there's also still a stigma there and there is definitely a boundary and a barrier between what is socially acceptable and what's not. And yeah, I think getting paid for images versus putting them um, out there for free, there's definitely that kind of distancing, I would say, that exists, even if they're quite similar images. Yeah, I find that so interesting as well because um, you're right, like with Instagram, there is a very high threshold for like sexualized imagery, which people may not necessarily realize but even you know when you look at like the big accounts of the influencers and things like that a lot of them when they're growing you know tend to put up a lot more you know sexy pictures showing a bit of skin and curves and this and that and yeah it's just interesting because obviously you know there's the comparison between Instagram and OnlyFans and you said it yourself you know a lot of people would post whatever sexual imagery they wanted on Instagram but it's there for free and some people are just you know making money off it by putting it on OnlyFans but it's pretty much the same kind of content i think some of it is also i think there's a lot of celebrities as well who've come out and said you know i earned this much on only fans last year in terms of social acceptability there's kind of a scale of no one was doing it before and then loads of people are doing it but not telling anyone and then there's a celebrity who's come out and said they're doing it and then it's kind of a gradual process of what becomes more socially acceptable so with kind of sexualized imagery on instagram you'll see loads of models or fitness models or posting like sarah said those kind of images because maybe that works well it gains more gets more engagement um so it becomes like we said more acceptable but then it's kind of difficult when you think about being a medical student or a doctor and thinking about the impact that has on your image, because obviously an Instagram model or a celebrity, the image that they portray to the world or their audience, it's different to the one that as a doctor or a medical student, it's different to what you're portraying professionally, which is a sticky situation. It's not our main profession. So I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're trying to kind of drive at is like, with an influencer or a celebrity, it's okay for them to have, you know, sexualized imagery as their main um, character. Whereas yeah. when you're kind of a doctor, you kind of have to compartmentalize and, you know, this is who you are to the NHS, to your professionalism council, to the GMC. And if you were to do anything like this, that would sort of have to be, yeah, you you can't sort of um, highlight it to the same degree because it almost seems to be contradictory to your primary profession. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think as well, one thing that we have to kind of remember is those boundaries of what's considered to be respectable and the kind of respectability mm. politics are also... Mm. They're very highly classed, they're gendered, um, they're very much racialized as well. So mm. how much something's considered to be acceptable or not is also shaped by those other factors as well. Um, yeah. But I think, the, like you say, that it's almost that kind of boundary between the good girl, bad girl binary, the kind of homodonna mm. binary, which is really what kind of, I guess, is the seem to be the basis of um, women's identities is that, like, you know, you cannot cross that line between, and if you are, then you're no longer seen as respectable. And if doctors are basically, their identity is dependent on being seen as respectable 
um, then, you know, that does obviously, like you say, it runs counter to that, like I say, good girl, bad girl, you can't kind of be both at the yeah. same time. In terms of, I was describing this process before of what, of making something respectable, it's respectable in, say, the influencer or social media world when that is your main career. So I would say no one has an issue then, but we're, but we're not there yet. It's not widely accepted um, enough for it to be okay yet, I feel, for doctors to be, to openly say, okay, I work in the sex industry and for everyone in the room to be okay with that. But if we unpack that, like, why right. is that the case? Yeah. And that why, is yeah. based on this idea that to be associated with, ho- like, what was referred to as whore stigma is that that's seen to be dirty, right? And yeah. so to move away from that idea of, when you yeah. say, like, dirt, it's like that kind of social taint, that stigma. And it, obviously to kind of move away from that, it's this idea that, you you know, you cannot be anywhere associated with that kind of shame. Um, if you want to be considered respectable. So I think that's... And I think um, it's also sort of the other side of the coin. So I think one side of the coin is sort of the stigma associated with sex work, but the other side is sort of the pedestal that, you know, we put doctors on in society and all through medical school is kind of drummed into you that, you know, you're not just yourself, but you're your profession and you're an ambassador to your profession. So anything that you do that is seen as untoward can be seen as, you know... Um, again yeah. besmirching the profession and um, I looked at the Hippocratic Oath as well just to see like <laughs> you know I don't know if that's something that's even still <laughs> done at graduations or whatever long way away but yeah I think it says you know the physician pledges to live an exemplary personal and professional life and again the General Medical Council is also very big on this thing we call professionalism which is again another blanket term who, that is kind of defined by whoever it's defined by so I think that is part of the reason that, you know, within medicine, it can still raise quite a few eyebrows. But I think it would also be interesting to kind of see a study. I don't know if any studies have been done or potentially do a study on patients' perceptions of, you know, doctors being involved in sex work. Yeah, I don't know if there's studies done around that, but that would be interesting to see, like, you know, we're told to uphold this persona um, and this personality, but does the end user who were treating the patients, are they actually... Um, affected by this and I'm sure there'll be sort of generational differences um, in that. Yeah I really agree I think it would be really interesting to hear what patients like as a kind of sort of a strange to refer to like patients as a whole group because that's just everyone in society (laughs) but like yeah yeah, exactly but it would (laughs) but it would be interesting to hear how like if, if you were sort of in the hospital as a patient how you how that would make you feel if you knew that about your doctor I think that would be really interesting and how do you think sort of patients might respond if they knew their doctor was involved in sex work yeah I think um you know patients as with you know for example I'm a university lecturer so my students your patients students could be uncomfortable about a range of issues um related to their doctor to their teacher you know to somebody who's in whatever profession but it's interesting that we kind of focus on sex work as being something that patients are able to comment on or give past judgment on more than other factors, other things that doctors might be engaged in. Um, and, you know, sex work is something that people do. It's not necessarily who they are. I guess a lot of people would say that um, jobs sort of in the community. So, you know, say a comprehensive school teacher or a, 
a doctor or a nurse or someone um held to like a different they're sort of held to a different standard in a way like um there are certain expectations that you would put on your doctor no I totally get that and like I say we could write a list as long as our arms of like things that people might religiously or politically not agree with you know actions behaviors identities etc um but I think realistically we have to problematize that and we don't have to just uphold these very archaic understandings of who a doctor is and what a doctor should be and what kind Mm -hmm. of I don't know moral stance they should take on a certain issue because at the end of the day you're hired surely I don't know you're hired on the basis of your ability to practice medicine your ability to work with patients your ability to do the job the job role so then therefore why should you if you're impartial be held to this like moral standard yeah I think there's like these traditions that people want to uphold for obvious reasons but traditions tend to also be problematic in many ways <laughs> when they come from like a very classed very um patriarchal very uh, colonial past you know maybe actually traditions should be done done away with in many instances and maybe this is one instance where you should take the person for how good they are at the job not what they do outside of work do you know what I mean but that's my yeah, opinion that's definitely. my opinion because you know I wouldn't want my students knowing what I do outside of work anyway <laughs> We, sp- we spoke to the GMC um, when we were sort of preparing for this podcast to try and find out what their like stance was on this and I'll sort of like read out a quote that they sent so from a legal standpoint although it is illegal to solicit it is not illegal to take money for sex work unless there is evidence that doctors had brought the profession into disrepute it would be unlikely that the GMC would feel this issue alone would impede entry to the medical register or lead to a fitness to practice investigation If, however, the media became aware of a doctor engaging in sex work, this could create unwanted interest and attention, which could lead to people complaining to the GMC or employers. And yeah, that was kind of everything that we got back, which I feel like is quite difficult to interpret. I think it's because we we still don't know, as a society, where we stand on it, in in, in the sense that there's too many different opinions on the topic. So if we're in a room with different patients... One patient could be completely fine, the next could just, it gets completely immoral. And then it's really difficult when the GMC has a statement like that. It's really easy to see a situation where you have a patient complaining about it and then coming back to you. So it's just, it's just, it just, it feels really difficult to navigate. If you were working in the sex industry as a doctor, um, you you don't know. You can't kind of, no one wears a t-shirt saying I'm okay with sex work. You don't know. <laughs> what people's opinions are on it so then you're less likely to talk about it would it not be interesting to have the same conversation about doctors who are clients then you know doctors who pay for sexual services and i was gonna say it sounds like it's fine as long as no one kind of knows about it but then you run the risk if you're in your clinic and one of your clients walks in or if you are a client and one of your um you know regulars comes in and then you know it's almost about who is willing to make a fuss and if you get reported then it becomes a problem but you know as long as it's under wraps you know you might be okay you can expand it from outside sex work it's mainly an issue of people's opinions it's not even just sex work it's just something as simple as drinking too much alcohol you might have a patient who doesn't like alcohol doesn't 
doesn't drink too much and wouldn't like their doctor to be going out on the weekend and drinking loads and being hungover. It's it's just kind of an extension of what someone finds acceptable, if that makes sense. But I think from yeah. from this perspective, it should be less about people's moral judgments and more about making sure that people aren't being, you know, for example, if a student uh, was engaged in sex work, that they are you know, not going to be discriminated. They are not going to face discrimination, yeah. sorry. They're not going to yeah. um, be put under, you know, in a risky situation. They're not going to face disciplinary um, measures or because of their engagement in a legal but stigmatised form of work. Yeah. And I think at that, at that point, if we individualise the problem and say, OK, we've got to look at individual patients and their individual perspectives on something that a doctor does do and then it becomes impossible. Um, My but, point was that we don't do that for other things. I'm going to say, and then this idea of, you know, keeping it, well, it, as long as students kind of keep it to themselves and don't tell anybody that they're engaged in sex work, actually that can be very risky for students. And working in isolation, working in secret actually you know, research shows that that can increase risk um, of violence. Yeah, I think if you look at individual people and what they think of, you know, like you say, people have lots of different opinions, um, particularly, I feel like in today's society, people have lots of very polarised opinions, which can yeah. be often very unhelpful. And even this idea of what we were kind of discussing about sex work as being either empowered people or um you know victims of abuse like those polarized conversations are really unhelpful because actually it ignores the diversity within the sex industry and the fact that you know people can be both of those things at the same time it's like it's a lot more complicated we talked earlier about the kind of huge range of different types of sex work and if we're like looking at that quote from the gmc for example how do you know where the line is like what is and isn't okay I think they've definitely been quite careful not to give you that distinction between kind of your career and your personal life because, you know, I think even just by the nature of the conversation and just um, the examples Jessica's given, it is something that is almost going to be on an individual basis um, of the circumstances of what is happening and whatever the complaint may or may not be if it were to come to that. But however, I just wanted to kind of maybe understand more because I think Jessica is right, like, People tend to have that polarised view of women empowerment versus victims of abuse. And I guess there's a lot that goes on in between that. It may also be helpful to know, you know, the reasons that they have to go into this. But I feel that if someone is studying medicine or has become a doctor, then, um, you know, I think, again, this could be a wild assumption on my part, but I would probably guess that the majority wouldn't, um, necessarily want to go into ste sex work um, of their own volition so it is possibly to you know supplement income or you know m many other reasons um, that could go into that. I think the best yeah I think that's such a good point about looking at why people are entering rather than looking at sex work as this individual individual very problematic industry and seeing it as like this kind of exceptional and unique industry that people are going into we should actually look at why like you say people are entering in the first place and that's because for students specifically they are severely underfunded by the government and it might maybe tell us more about mainstream jobs and how wages in mainstream jobs that students are able to enter are 
really low paid. The idea for me, I think, which is really problematic that universities tend to have is this, that, you know, that students shouldn't work alongside their degree because they should be focusing on their degree. And this is dependent on this idea that one, they have enough money from student finance, which we know isn't true, or two, that they've got access to other income from family, which a lot of students don't have access to. So therefore, it's just dependent on this very, I guess, idealised image of what a student is and should be, which doesn't reflect what students actually you know, the realities of students. So, and that doesn't reflect the current cost of living crisis and how, you know, student poverty, like across the country, is just set to worsen. So this idea that, you know, students should, you know, feel ashamed for entering in the sex industry, when for many it's a better option than other options that are available, says more about society at large than it does about the sex industry. Is it really, is it a really weird way of talking about this when I say that like we were comparing waitressing and then doing sex work I mean when you look at it in that sense it's it's just a it's a part-time job basically for students I mean the basis of my PhD was it was a comparative analysis between hospitality work and the sex industry and the, the key difference is stigma um you know and it's the way in which sex workers are responded to which is based on I guess hophobia which is inherently this um, fear disgust and hatred of, of sex workers but one example from my PhD was a, a nursing student who um, was working as a stripper and another student went into the strip club took photos of her while she was at work obviously without her permission you're not actually allowed to take photos in a strip club anyway but they did that um, which could be very much likened to revenge porn because they then showed uh, senior management at the university as kind of evidence as to why she should have been kicked off her course and so then you know she had to come in for a meeting the um, lecturers at uni were she said that they were really judgmental she basically left because she was being bullied by other students on her course she'd been outed as a sex worker obviously out of nowhere um but obviously think of the massive knock-on effect that's had on her life and Mm. her career because she's had to take a year out she had to go to a different university she's had to completely uproot her life all because she was working in a strip club in order to pay her way through her nursing degree which just feels you know completely unjust yeah wrong and yeah I think it's just yeah this is why when you take it on an individual basis you know student per student situation that it can that understanding of bringing the institution or bringing the profession into disrepute can be left to interpretation it's not going to look great so um and then you have to explain that to wherever you go to next because they're going to ask so what was this about and you don't really get that clean start in the end that you're looking for yeah and I think the secrecy and the shame we talked earlier about the risks and it could be such a way of like someone controlling you if there's this constant threat of being reported to a university or well particularly if students are working online um there's an issue of doxing which is when people you know maybe screen grab a picture which without the person's consent and then share it on social media or show it to other people you know this is actually illegal but to dox people is illegal but there's no kind of repercussions for that when it comes to sex workers often Okay, and we'll discuss a little bit more about sex work right after this advert. I'm Dr Matt Morgan, 
and alongside working as an intensive care consultant, I work as part of the BMJ on examination team to support you in passing your medical exams. You can get access to our personalised revision resource online and in our app for years 1 to 3 totally free as well as a huge 40% discount on our medical student finals product. We'll help you pass your exams by making sure to maximise the best use of your time. We'll deliver you the most important questions, keep you on track with daily reminders and give you feedback to show how you're performing. We're committed to making revision easy, so start your journey to passing first time today by visiting onexamination.com to sign up or by downloading the OnExamination app. Okay, back to it. So, um, Jess, we've talked a bit about sort of um, the kind of issues involved in um, sex work in terms of um, kind of safety issues and we talked a bit about doxing, control and things like that. Is there anything that you think universities could be doing to make this safer for students who are involved in this? Yeah, I think there's lots of things that they could be doing and I think the the number one thing that was um, brought in by the University of Leicester, they kind of spearheaded this, which was um, the introduction of toolkits for students so that they have... One, it's actually just, I guess, a public acknowledgement that they are supporting student sex workers can really help students feel that they are able to come to universities you know for example student support services and ask for any help that they might need like I say those toolkits for students where they have basically just lists of places where they can seek advice and support so that's the toolkits there uh, for, for students And that does not necessarily mean that universities are encouraging students into the sex industry. It just means that they are taking a harm reduction approach. Another thing that the University of Leicester has created a toolkit for staff as well. So it's just, I think, basically just making sure that everybody has access to information. I think another thing would also be policies in universities as well, like making sure that there is a policy in place in the university to protect students from discrimination. And I think also as well, like I say, policies to just make sure that they aren't going to be excluded in any way or face disciplinary measures um, for their engagement in legal but stigmatised work. So policies and resources for students and policies and resources for staff, I'd say as well, because staff might also be involved in the sex industry and they might then end up facing disciplinary measures for that as well. So protecting staff, particularly as work in higher education becomes more casualised. Yeah, and um, in terms of like medicine in particular, there was recently... Um, like BMA resolution about sex work and a vote was taken with the resolution being not to penalise doctors who are sex workers but from what you've talked about you know all of these things are contributing to it just not being as clear-cut as that. Yeah the sort of final thing I wanted to talk a little bit, bit about was Jess from all your research and things is there any key myths you think need to be busted like regarding sex work or commonly held misconceptions oh yes lots um 
The biggest one would be what we've mentioned before about this idea that sex workers are either victims or they are the happy hooker type stereotype as well. It's either this idea that it's either good or bad. I think we just need to break from that very polarised understanding, which ends up creating a, what's known as the hierarchy, which is this basically hierarchy within the sex industry where sex workers face different levels of stigma depending on where they are in the in the industry, I guess. You know, it might not be a first choice, but it might be the better option for many people. And I think we have to look at why people are entering the industry, look at those factors rather than um, just focusing on the sex industry as this kind of um, bad thing that women shouldn't do. And instead, look at, you know, why are people going into it? Um, Anisha, Sarah, do you have any sort of final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed um, today's conversation. I think it's been super interesting and yeah, there's just a lot that goes in um, beyond the wider conversation that people just don't think about. I think for me, the big question now is kind of what moral standard are we holding individuals to and where does that come from? Maybe back in the day where the state was more closely aligned to like religious values and obviously things to do with sex and sexuality, of course, will be divorced from any idea of propriety or professionalism. But we've come a long way from that. And if people don't uphold certain moral standards in their personal lives, then we can't really um, apply it to them, you know, in a professional setting. When people know where the lines are, then you know when you're crossing a line. But if there is no line and it's all, you know, the big grey, then, you know, it's left to individuals to decide which way they want to play it. Yeah, and I think all the stuff we talked about with professionalism, like you said, and and that distinct, that, like, distinction between your personal life and your professional identity and whether people are rounding off aspects of their personality or their life to try and become the most professional version of themselves. And what is your first identity? Are you a doctor first? Are you yourself first? Um, (laughs) Yeah, because that is ultimately the one that you would then try to protect. So yeah, I was just going to add one extra thing with rather than spending time, for example discussing whether or not a student should be disciplined because they, you know, bring in the profession into disrepute or having these discussions about reputation, like maybe the focus should be on properly funding students. That's the main issue is, you know, mainly why students turn to sex workers for because of the money. So students are severely underfunded, like maybe we start there rather than starting on whether or not a sex worker is good or bad. <laughs> that might be a good place to start. Yeah, I think that's a really important note to end on, actually. So, yeah, I think that's all we have time for today. Um, Thank you so much to all our panellists for joining us and to everyone at home for listening to this episode. Um, If you liked the episode and the show, it would be great if you could support us by leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts or by sharing it with the people you know. Tell your friends about it. That really helps people find the show and keep in touch i'd love to hear your thoughts um especially on any trends you find interesting in medicine or any topics you want us to cover in the future you can find us on social media with bmj student on twitter facebook and instagram and if you'd like to hear of any other episodes subscribe to sharp scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks time you'll be notified of our next episode until then goodbye from us bye Bye.